Welcome back to Side by Side Production. I'm your host, Brian Gastner, a real estate broker in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, inviting you into the field with me to produce at a level that you've predetermined you desire to by connecting with people face-to-face as your paramount priority, but also making observations on a daily basis with an eye to a long-term structure that will allow you to repeat your performance and thereby count on it so that you can leave it behind and otherwise get into focusing more on what's important in providing world-class service and also just having relationships uh, with folks. The reality is you have to kind of do this in the way that only you can, right? So some of the guidance you're going to get from any coach, from any real estate professional is going to be somewhat flawed in its application to you, right? Barring any technical advancement that would completely eliminate real estate professionals, uh, I don't think you have to worry too much about not having a job in the future because of technology, as it was with some of the things that transformed almost overnight, whether it was taxi cabs into Ubers, whether it was any other industry. It's not like I have a ton of them. An Airbnb, maybe, perhaps, would be one that popped up. Uh, But when you think of technology seeping its way into real estate, it seems a bit different in that uh, the very life cycle of somebody buying or selling their house outside of somebody buying uh, or selling for cash is entirely loan dependent. And if it were not for that, it probably would have the opportunity to do it a little bit easier. However, the loan slows things down, doesn't it? When the loan catches up, if somebody could get a loan and get that loan in one day and a seller could have their title cleared in one day and you could literally click a button and they would say, yes, your property is marketable. There are no clouds on title. And yes, you can transfer it to another purchaser or another to a buyer and the buyer had funds immediately available and they could click a button and then that money would be transferred to the seller, then they'd just have to swap, right? The buyer still at some point has to go see the house, I guess, when you think about it this way. And at some point, the seller has to move out of the house, right? I don't know that those two are synonymous and could be done with autonomy, even in the most... uh, assumed transactions, there are hiccups along the way with financing or with seller's schedules or buyer's schedules that would lead to complication. But there's a lot more complication when it comes to disclosure and intent and performance and what that really means. Albeit in Minnesota, we don't worry about it too often in the sense that we don't end up with too many transactions where people are manipulating the system or otherwise suing for reasons other than performance. And I think sometimes it comes down to the fact that if you're selling the house, particularly in a good market, you don't stand to be damaged much if a buyer doesn't perform. You can just sell it to somebody else, assuming that you can get the statutory cancellation. And on the buy end, um, there's always other houses, right? So I think damage is somewhat legally limited in that capacity as the framework from which people think about the ability to make things technical. But as it were today, I'm getting off the beaten track. I think the intent here in providing world-class service is to look at the myriad of things that could happen. In fact, in a transaction that we had 
uh, done not long ago with a cloud on title. I had been referencing in previous podcasts, it became pretty interesting and something that ultimately kind of ended up being a byproduct of our closing time frame. And folks kind of worked reactively up against that until the solution uh, came into play when in fact the solution was readily there and available. And so it begs the question of how far you go with your service as it pertains to things like clearing title uh, versus letting a title company do that and what have you. So interesting things that uh, certainly from a service perspective end up being discussed. But when it comes down to value in neighborhoods, I think there's a whole different level of opportunity here for us as real estate professionals. Because when I go from neighborhood to neighborhood, there are neighborhoods wherein there are small communities of people that are just truly wonderful uh, and know that they have something kind of special with their neighborhood. And then there's also uh, examples, for example, of associations whom have had a lot of trouble with the rules they've created. And there's associations that have had uh, no trouble. In fact, uh, their very rules foster and create and even uplift that little community uh, compared to others. And then there's financial uh, uh, realities with any association. But longer story, at the end of the day, uh, little pockets wherein the houses right now uh, sell for prices that are indicative of that house being as enjoyable as another. When I know uh, going through the neighborhood and spending quite a bit of time there, that house A that sold for the same house as price as house B just isn't going to be the same experience. Bottom line, right? That doesn't mean it's universally better, uh, but for certain people, it may be better, and for other people, it may be worse, right? Maybe somebody is really into gardening and they really like their lawn, and the neighbor happens to have uh, a lot of traffic and a lot of obsolescence in their yard and on the curb that for whatever reason that buyer doesn't see when they go to see the house or even the final walkthrough. At that point, it's pretty much a done deal, but they, I suppose, could walk away. But So that's a little bit extreme, I suppose, in terms of what the example would be, but it at least illustrates the point, right, that that person might go, wow, I didn't know there, I didn't know there was so much clutter in the neighborhood. You know, this particular neighbor was on a trip, they weren't home what have you, or maybe somebody is uh, not good with dogs, but for whatever reason, this neighbor has a really aggressive dog. However, they didn't just see that, right, when they were there and didn't discover it when they looked at the property and talked to the neighbors. And so part of our service set deals with that, right? Let's talk to the neighbors. Let's. But when you think about the price for that property, you, you wouldn't think it, when we go back to A&B, to be universal, right? those properties are going to be worth more or less depending on who bought them. And maybe that in and of itself is redundant. But bottom line is I would see two properties, for example, at 330,000 in our market. uh, And I would say, wow, this one is clearly uh, in my opinion, worth more than this other one, right? Maybe A is worth in my opinion, 30 to $50,000 more than B, but they sold at the same price. And so herein is what I'm, referring to when we gain a familiarity with all of the people in the neighborhood and what their preferences are and what their inclinations are, maybe we can start to devise a system uh, to start to evaluate the value of property beyond simple, simple, simple uh, 
specification comparisons, right? This house is built around the same year. This house is about the same size, roughly same bed and bath above grade. We won't count below grade in the appraisal. We'll adjust for it. And then there you go. That's your value. Well, okay, we can stay within a mile, but eh, I mean, there's a lot of property that's not within a mile that is similar in terms of what a buyer might uh, look at, right? Buyers very often, they'll shop for certain neighborhoods, but it's just as common for buyers not to shop for specific neighborhoods, right? To shop areas. Maybe they're relocating from out of state. Maybe they're just moving across town. Maybe they, whatever the case may be. Anyway, back to today, we got uh, two transactions on the board today. One came from our now group and the other one, and of which we were at 54, right? So further clarification on this leads to the discovery of the fact that when you first think about, well, let's say I had a hundred people that I thought were going to do something right now. And I wanted to pull a deal from that at will, right? That doesn't metrically make sense. What do you mean pull a deal from it at will? Like you could go out every day and pull a deal from it. That's not going to be the case, right? I mean, these whole things, uh, all of these uh, people that are moving, it, it takes on a life of itself for all of them, right? So you can't necessarily uh, expect to produce at will, right? I can pick up the phone this very second and produce a client. And sometimes uh, you can get too far gone with these comparisons. But my point is this, we do clearly have now a metric, right? The metric we started with is you see 413 people, there should be a transaction there. And as I went into today on June 11th, I thought, well, you know what? I don't have any transactions. I've got to switch gears now to those people in that now status of which I had 54. So I just started going from the first to the second to the third. In the meantime, my mind is no longer focusing on hitting the metric of 413 or even a thousand for the bi-monthly tally, but instead it turns entirely on to, all right, find a transaction. Who have I talked to in the past six months that maybe most freshly resonates in my mind as somebody that thought about moving, right? This is beyond the scope of any sort of quantification that you can put into the database that says, hey, follow up with them now, follow up with them then. These people that were in route status, right, I'd been going to see on a regular basis, right? So it, it cheapens the notion of the relationship, but it's just for logistics and quantification purposes, right? So 100, we have a few metrics that have played through so far. 413 has produced a deal each and every time. And in June, we're just woefully off of that number. We're only at 200 some, right? So the goal is to see another 200 and find a transaction out of people that we've never met before. But we also need to go and see the 150 people that we saw in March, right? So we've got to see, no matter what, we've got to see about 350 people uh, between now and the end of the month. So that gives me a really specific goal. And with that comes the reality that those people that I saw in March might not be home the first time I go to see them. Thankfully, I've got another uh, half of the month to, to get to those people. And that's entirely reasonable to expect, but I need to start in on that now. And so that starts to guide my route, right? Now we're going to repeat this each month, right? Next month, we're going to do it for April. Next month, we're going to do it for May. So right now we're going to redesign a daily route with a focus on staying on top of those people we met in March, 
um, and staying on top of. Now, when I do that, right, the, the map's already built. So here's a, a FYI, a filler that helps make sense of this. I wanted to create some simple calculations that would tell me when I met this person and then have them show up on the map appropriately. But I struggled with it. And so sometimes rather than trying to force a solution, just think of an alternative solution. In fact, I can't tell you how many times that's been the, the key to keeping moving forward. So rather than do that, I just set up a simple script that looks up, you know, everybody in this category, for example, in category two, everybody that I've met in the last 90 days, it looks them up. And it, because I've met them in the last day, 90 days, it sets them as an X2, which highlights them in red. So I know not to stop at them that day. And then it also looks up everybody. Those are the X2s, right? Then it also looks up all of the twos and it, right, and it looks up all of the twos that I've seen that I haven't seen in the last 90 days, right? And it says, hey, and it makes them an X, makes them a, a two. I, I'm, I'm not saying this very well, but it's going to look up basically everybody in the group of two, everybody in the group of uh, X2, which means that I've seen them in the last 90 days. And then it's going to also compare whether or not I've seen them in the last 90 days. Can I butcher an explanation anymore? Probably not. But it looks up and classifies the end result of the script. The technical crap is just difficult to articulate. But the, the, the result of the script is that it, it will have on the map appropriately those people that I've seen in the last 90 days with a little X before the number, and they'll be highlighted red. And those people that I haven't seen in the last 90 days will show up with, in a white square instead of a red square with the corresponding number, one through five. And I'll know I have to see them, right? And that's fluid and dynamic. Some days I'll see 100 people. Some days I'll see 30. Some days I'll go three days without seeing any. Other days I'll go a week and see 90 a day, right? So they, flu they flow in and out of the map, and now we just got to keep up, right? So this is a lot more difficult than it was before to, to add new people. And if you're following along, we're only at 350 as far as new people, but we're adding more every day. So the, the, the new additions, I anticipate slowing down a little bit. Maybe we add 50 new a day, but I'm talking about route additions, priority additions, now additions. Those add much slower, right? Even at the pace we were, we were at 300. But now we're going to piggyback off of that. So anyway, that's kind of where that comes from. And, and then at some point now, right, when we're, as we're building to this 1800, you can see the writing on the wall, right? Well, this is only with people in group one and two. We rarely have anybody in three, four or five yet. But now as this quarter progresses and we go from March to April to May, and we revisit those in June, July and August, and all of a sudden, now we have a bunch of people in group three. We're trying to pay particular attention to how these metrics worked out, how the ratios worked out, right? And I'll have to make note of this tonight so that I can log it tomorrow because this is a significant piece of data to document as far as what to expect when you do this. And so ultimately, I could probably even tell you off the top of my head from keeping track, I'd seen about roughly 2,000 people, right? And about 300 of those roughly ended up on the route. So it would be safe to say 15%. Right. And the old age old metrics of 10 and 10 always holds true. Right. If I would have thought 2000 people, 10 percent would become people that I would follow up with. And then 10 percent of those would become a deal. 
right? So And so it is, and so it's turning out to be. And it seems to be a universal marketing metric in our industry that we just overcomplicate. So everything seems to be falling into place as far as that goes. Now we'll see what it looks like when we try to go from group two to group three. And when we do that, we're trying to go out and deliver that script that says, hey, look, I started a real estate company. I have something unique and different to offer. And I'm really close to being able to put that together for publication. But I'm hoping you'll bear with me and allow me to follow up with you once or twice more here over the next six to nine months to see what you think. And I'd love your input on what it is that we're doing from time to time, if that's okay with you. And of course, if anybody's thinking of moving, I'd sure appreciate the fact that you'd refer them to me. Therein is your script, right? Now I'm going to go deliver that script and see how it works and go from there. And, and then that's, that's pretty much it. But eventually then, right, we have what we really want to dig into for the long-term predictability of the model is to say, all right, well, we have 100 people in this now category, right? And, and I think this category itself is going to help dictate market changes. This is what we really want to get into six to nine to 12 months from now is to be able to say, hey, we've got a, a, a sample group of 100 people who have a very clear and confirmed intent to move immediately uh, within the next couple of months, right, right now. And here's how they're behaving, right? All 100 are, oh my gosh, this is crazy good. I'm getting my house as quick as I can. And then another day we go out and they say, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. My house appraised for $100,000 low. The deal fell apart, right? In the, in the down market, the crazy market of the crash, it'd be one out of three. One out of three deals would close. The other two would just fade away for some crazy reason, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. So anyway, long story short, I think we'll be able to see and predict the market a little bit because we'll have that depth of feedback from people in the market. Now we need to diversify the people that we have, right? We can't base that simply on people that are home during the day, but that's one perspective. And then we'll have to build in, of course, a few other perspectives and sample groups to kind of compare and contrast. And then at that point, we'll have a really robust and uh, deep insight into what's happening in the local market. So metrically, things look good. You know, when we pull from the now group and we have 54 in there and our goal is to get it to 100, A, it makes the math a little bit easier, but that's encouraging, right? If we have 100 in there that we could get a deal bi-monthly without fail. And if you if you remember, well, that's what we want right? We want a deal bi-monthly from, originating from people that we meet for the first time in the local market through field-based, face-to-face prospecting. And then we want a second deal bi-monthly from the rest of our efforts, following up with everyone else in our pipeline, those that are priority defined, those that are thinking about doing something now, those are, that are on our route, those that we might have hooked that we're marketing to electronically, any and every other reason could be sphere-based anything or even purchased leads for that matter. Thereby then having four transactions a month and having a budget that would allow for about a $2,000 follow-up, $2,500 follow-up system, right? A $600 to $700 postcard monthly. And then, right, archaic maybe, but six to 700 postcard monthly. And then another thousand for our handwritten monthly with the postage and then another 
500 for some electronic things, right? Web development and maybe even a person that will send out uh, or at least structure the platform with which we'll communicate uh, socially and otherwise. And then at that point, your system's kind of done. Now, how do we refine it and make it bigger and better? Well, we add people, right? And a lot of times what I'm getting to realize now is it's not necessarily about having somebody else come in and apply themselves to the system. To get off the ground here, what we're gonna game plan is just to produce ourselves at such a high rate that we're able to literally hand off transactions. And at that point, we'll then, of course, we have to deal with some revenue issues on that, what the appropriate split would be, etc. But then at that point, we'll have other choices to make uh, for other reasons, right? But that's kind of the game plan, and, and it kind of fits, right? If we're getting one new person bi-monthly, if we're getting one new person bi-monthly, that's one person that we don't know, and a handoff is really reasonable uh, to another person on the team. That should be no problem. So everything seems to appear in line. It was encouraging to go out on the 11th, even though we've had an abysmal month to date, and have two transactions appear, right? That we kind of knew were there, but you never really kind of know until you, and in fact, I'll have to go back now that I'm thinking about it, I'll have to go back and double check and make sure that we didn't already count the one that I picked up documents for today, because I think that we did. And if you remember correctly, one of the things that we're doing is we're just taking the deals themselves and logging them in the margin of a spreadsheet that allows us to uh, otherwise look at it from time to time and just get really deep into which deals are there and which deals aren't so that we can stay focused on converting those and kind of going from there. So I'll have to take another peek at that and see. I think it's probable that we had already counted one of them from today. And that's okay. We'd still be at one, right? That would be plenty good. And then we had one from the, the agent. We're still hitting metric. Uh, for the bi-monthly. Scary on the 11th to think that we wouldn't, but we had a huge uh, couple of things happening this month. One was we'd spent quite a bit of time with family, which is our whole priority to begin with. So wonderful that that can happen this early on in such a transformation. But then also we really had to dig deep to make some of the changes to the database with regards to our field-based system that were they're just difficult to make. Making some of the technical changes can be a real heavy thing. Uh, so we got that in place too. So everything looks really, really good. We've also been able to, over the last uh, month, really part ways with a couple people that just weren't in it. Uh, and we were able to cut ties there. We're not wasting money on people that are not committed uh, and otherwise giving them a, a money for nothing, right? Other than it, it just for no good reason. Uh, anyway, so we got that done, uh, and we're kind of down now to our uh, core group, and we're taking the next steps and realizing that, hey, until we get this entire system built, and until we have it completely firmed up all the way around, then until then, we, there's no point in adding other people. Not that we want, uh, not that we're turning our mind off to relationships, mind you, although to some extent, reality is we are. Uh, we understand that the most important thing are good, you know, is to have good people around us. But at the same time, 
until we get this thing built, we're not going to waste any more time, effort, and money on people that uh, pseudo-participate, right? It, it just makes sense. Now, each individual real estate agent needs to do their own thing in terms of how they keep track of their performance. And it cannot be forced upon them by anybody else. Hence the nature of independent contracting. And once you recognize that, there then needs to be, after the fact, a method of a follow-up and follow-through, right? And in my particular system, we already have that service set, right? So if I give you a client and you're going to work on that client, here's what I expect, that you're going to complete this service set of tasks. And to the extent that you do, great, then here's our revenue split. But if you don't, I'm going to do them. And if I do them, then here's the revenue split, right? Because the reality is we're just accounting for time and money within the scope of a transaction. That's fine if the agent that wants to participate on the team uh, doesn't have the ability or the technical ability to integrate into your software or your system or your solution, uh, mobily particularly. But when it comes to transactions, there is no room for compromise in any way, shape, or form whatsoever with regards to your service set. It needs to be a very clear dialogue of, hey, here's the 100 things we do, period. If you're going to participate and you're going to manage that client during the transaction, you need to do all 100. And if you do all 100, perfect, then here's your revenue split. And if you don't, then I'm going to do these things and here's how the revenue split's going to be. And each 100 might have a dollar amount associated with it, right? So maybe each one, right, is ends up being a percentage of the revenue, right? So here's the hundred things. If you do item one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, you get 5%, right? Some of these things are really easy to do, right? And some of those things are a little bit more difficult to do. But what's of defeating difficulty is being able to create an online space or a database where people can communi communicate the development of that, which we really have, right? So the proprietary system that we have, once we're done with it, we're gonna go to market with and sell to other organizations, right? The data that's in it is where the value is for us as individual real estate producers. But as an organization, the solution that allows people to perform as a team is worth an immense amount. Right. So why not sell that to other people in other places and let them use it? Right. It's not it's a huge competitive advantage for us. But at the same time, the reality is it's the product of the work. That's the real value in the real estate world. Right. The solution itself isn't going to do anything. It's the people that get everything done. So why not sell the solution? Right. Once you've already got the value out of the solution, then the solution's done with. Right? You've got your people, you've got your relationships, your solution is of no value to you anymore. Right? Then you just have a simple, I mean, if you put it another way, let's say that I had a thousand relationships in my local community and my business was just flourishing. Well, what more would I need with the other 40,000? Right? I wouldn't really care about somebody use, using the software because I have the network of people I need. Right. So the software is just a springboard into the into the relationship solution. But once the relationships are in place, 
So that's our intent. Our intent is to use the software to prove its productive capacity and then sell that software uh, and in the meantime then continue to grow our real estate business using it. Right? That's kind of, and then if we can piece together other uh, training elements and one-offs, then we'll use that software to sell those, right? So we can sell coaching through and through using this system. It's a turnkey system, right? That's kind of where we're at with it. We should be able to roll it out pretty much immediately, but as soon as we have the face of it, right? Which we kind of have. Now, this turning point of the transition from one to two is big, right? I think once we go through all four progressions, then at that point, it makes the most sense in terms of selling it, right? Because now we're able to say, hey, here's progression A, A through, you know, one through five. Here's exactly the conversion metrics that you, you can and should expect. And therefore, here is your result in production. Here's how many people we saw face-to-face. Here's when we saw them, blah, 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 blah. And maybe it's adjusted a little bit based on your the topography in your market, right? The density of the population may dictate different results in different markets. But that's it, That's it, right? We've got a self-contained solution that does everything. And then we go to market with that. So that's kind of where we're at with things. And we'll see uh, how it plays out. But I wanted to give you that summary kind of state of the union.